Well, a very warm welcome. I hope you had a wonderful weekend. This is A Reason for Hope, and we are with you live for the next hour to receive your questions on God's Word, the Bible. That's right. Any questions you have on the Bible, we are here live to delve into the Word and find those answers. So really, any honest question you have and you'd like a biblical perspective, we are happy to be here to navigate that with you today. My name is Dave Robson. I will be your host and taking those questions as they come on in on our multiple uh, platforms online. And with me in the studio today is Sean Richards. Sean, I have to tell you, last time we were here, you told us that you had gone home and you saw a dog chasing a guy on a bike and you didn't even know dogs could uh, ride bikes. Mm -hmm. And at some point over the weekend, I got that. <laughs> was that one of the, uh, they're called time jokes you're going to laugh when you have time yes. yeah i think i was in bed saturday night like oh a dog on a bike riding my gotcha so yeah. anyway how are you today what's going on in your world well i guess in all terms of animal expansion <laughs> and knowledge i discovered i have the power to train insects oh yeah how did you come to that knowledge well every time that i instruct them i can get every single one i've interacted with to ignore me <laughs> It's a start. It's a start. It's a good start. <laughs> the journey of a thousand miles begins. <laughs> Never mind. I can't wait to hear the next By training that you insects. develop. That's, I think that I've got more. in the original. <laughs> <laughs> Impressive. Yeah. Also with this, uh, Pastor Scott Richards, who's the senior pastor here at Calvary Christian Fellowship. Yeah. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it really is kind of a, a bittersweet day for us, though. Um, as many of you know, if you follow us on Facebook or you follow our assistant pastor, Bo Willett, on Facebook, uh, his mom, Dot Shackford, uh, went home to be with the Lord about mm -hmm. 2 a.m. Uh, this morning and uh, just uh, fought a, an incredibly horrific and, uh, and heroic battle uh, against bone cancer. It's just uh, one of those uh, you know, really horrific variations on the disease where they can really not do a whole lot for you, even as far as pain management, uh, you know, at the very end. And so, you know, it is one of those um, uh, situations where First Thessalonians chapter four talks about uh, grieving, yet not as those who don't have hope. Uh, you know, there really was a lot of pre-grieving that went in there because just right. uh, being in a situation uh, where, you know, again, Dot really, you know, maintained her focus on the Lord, uh, and uh, was was such uh, a, a picture of, of strength and stability in her walk with God. And yet, uh, just the overwhelming pain and suffering that she went through was was overwhelming. I loved uh, what uh, Bo Pat, uh, posted on on Facebook, and I just wanted to share that with any of you that uh, might be uh, joining us because I think it's such a beautiful tribute to a life well lived. Uh, Bo wrote, "Our mom's tent died today." I love the way he expresses that because in Second Corinthians five, we see that these bodies of ours are a tent that is going to be taken down. They get frayed around the edges, lose the ability uh, to be able to uh, sustain us, and uh, we have a mansion uh, not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Really, an upgrade that God has along these lines. But great line there. Uh, Bo said, "What an awesome mom! She was no doubt my number one fan of my guitar playing." I still have the red Randy Rhodes custom she bought me at age 13. All those years of carrying my amps from friends to friends, mm -hmm. then getting me to meet Christopher Parkening, who is a uh, top-level uh, classical guitarist, 
when I was 16 and going to learn classical guitar in Montana. She had me meet the professors at Cal State Northridge and brought me a Kono concert guitar when the professor said I needed a good classical guitar. Always the giver mom was. She loved to fish and be in the outdoors. I remember surfing at Leo Carrillo Beach in California, and she would be at the beach watching me. Ha ha, mom loved the outdoors. I loved her long, straight hair when I was a kid. Total hippie look in North Hollywood. She was a hard worker and moved us to Simi Valley from the valley. She was proud of her work and ability to provide for Bo's brother, JP, and I. JP have never felt unloved by our mom. Truly, we have been so stoked all these years being able to have so many great trips and stories traveling across the U.S., going to Hawaii, Alaska, Maine, and Canada. We will all miss her and her energy. I look forward to seeing her again. She loved all her family in Arizona, California, Maine, New Hampshire, and Alaska. She talked of the Shackford crew in New Hampshire and Alaska often with much love for all the kids. Her sister in Wilton, along with her daughter, Autumn, have uh, been close to mom. We will do a memorial here in a few weeks in Tucson, a burial later in Maine after winter. Thank you for all your prayers this year for our mom. It was a nine-month ordeal with cancer in her bones, brain, and lungs. Glad that the old tent is gone, for there is a better. Uh, For we know that this earthly tent we live in is destroyed. We have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built with human hands. I remember the line from Morrissey, There is a better world. There must be. Ah, there must be, when he was with the Smiths. Mm. I'm grateful that the everlasting life is not a wish, but rooted in the facts of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. We are a visited planet. It would do you all well to look into the line of the tribe of Judah, the carpenter from Nazareth. What love. Be well, friends, Bo. Mm. Beautiful. Yeah, a beautiful uh, tribute and a beautiful life. And uh, just, uh, it. you know, when uh, I found out that she had passed away earlier today, you know, it hits you and it hits you hard. Mm-hmm. But uh, there is also that sense of relief and release that uh, they're the end of suffering. And I, I really wonder what that sensation must be like to have gone through uh, such a uh, journey where the pain was just increasing and, and so intense, and then suddenly to be released right. from it and in the presence uh, of God's glory. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think uh, having that uh, uh, heavenly body that is being talked about here is necessary to be able to deal with such a, an amazing switch that would go on so quickly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks for sharing that. And yeah. we're certainly with you, Bo and family. I got to speak to Bo right before uh, the show, but um, for Shaq and all you guys, we've been praying and certainly with you. Uh, well, if you're seeing us and hearing us, then you obviously found us, but there are multiple ways you can um, join us. Our website, calvarychristianfellowship.com. If you follow the Watch Live tab, you can see us there. That's a great kind of fallback place if you tend to have technical problems elsewhere. That's kind of a good home base for you to go to calvarychristianfellowship.com. Watch us live. There's a chat function there where you can send in your questions. Also on Facebook, Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. You'll find us there as well. On YouTube, it is A Reason for Hope. That is the name of the channel, A Reason for Hope. That's where you'll find us. We have an app as well on your mobile device, also on Roku and Apple TV. So look for Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson, and you'll find us there. Our email address, if you prefer to do it that way, is questions for hope. That's questions for hope, all spelled out at gmail.com. So the chat functions or that email, send us a question. Get in early. Sometimes we run out of time on the show, so get in with your questions. First come, first served basis. And again, any honest question you have that you'd like a biblical perspective or answer 
That's what we're all about. You can follow Pastor Scott as well on Twitter at Scott R4H. That's Scott, letter R, number four, letter H. Yep. For uh, <laughs> Lively discussion going on there. Oh, oh there is? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, sure <laughs> so. there, I'm sure there always is on, on Twitter. But for uh, highlights from the show and commentary on world events and all kinds of good stuff, you can follow Pastor Scott there as well. So, well, with all that being said and that beautiful tribute to, uh, to Dot, uh, Sean, would you like to pray for us today? Yeah, I'd be happy That'd to. Be great. Dad, thank you that you've taken another saint home. And while this is a process of grief for us, it's rejoicing from your perspective. And we pray to ask for your heart, not just in regards to those that we love, but also in regards to the ministries you've called us to. Please equip my father and I to fulfill ours. And thank you for calling us to it. We pray this would be a blessing to you and your people. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Mm-hmm. Amen. 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 Uh, Pastor Scott, I think you had a, did you have an update? Yeah. Um, on the election? You know, obviously we're getting bombarded with uh, people asking questions about the election here mm-hmm. in Arizona. Again, no final word as to how that is going to resolve itself. Uh, but uh, interesting uh, that uh, there have uh, been uh, some implications already in. NBC News, uh, right before airtime, uh, has verified that uh, the uh, there's going to be enough uh, Republican representatives in the House to be able to switch control of the House over to the Republicans. Now, why is that significant for us? Well, if that had not have happened, and you know, again, I appreciate all the people who prayed along that line, uh, our president, uh, Joe Biden, uh, was uh, doing quite a bit of political saber rattling about the idea of, uh, if they controlled the House and the Senate, codifying the terms of abortion under the previous terms of Roe versus Wade, uh, which uh, would essentially allow abortion for any reason throughout any terms of pregnancy, and make that uh, the law of the land. Uh, Wherever uh, that people would go, it would be uh, the, uh, the instituted policy from the federal government. The states would no longer have the right to set their own uh, standards as far as abortion is concerned. Uh, So uh, the good news is uh, with the Republicans holding the House, uh, Joe Biden was asked at a press conference uh, what uh, that would uh, mean as far as codifying Roe versus Wade. And uh, very interestingly, he said that uh, first he said he didn't really want to answer the question, but he would go ahead and do that. He would say that would have to be shelved at least until the next election. So uh, as far as uh, Roe versus Wade uh, being codified, uh, apparently that's not going to happen. And that's a good thing. Um, As far as how the elections are shaking out, uh, you know, the Lord really laid a scripture on my heart with all of the controversy that's going on. Uh, obviously, uh, there are all kinds of questions about how our elections are being conducted here in the United States. And, and a lot of people have very strong opinions uh, on this, this subject. But the, the scripture that I've been going back to is uh, Psalm 118. And in Psalm 118 and verse 8, we are told it is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. Mm. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. Mm. And, and I think that is such a, um, a, uh, a wonderful GPS heading for us, especially in these days, because uh, sometimes when it appears that a particular political party that seems to uh, be more 
uh, inclined towards Christian values is going to have a big uh, red wave or a red tsunami or however they describe it. People get amped and they think that, boy, this is the way to bring in righteousness. Well, uh, again, sin is reproached to any people, but righteousness exalts a nation, we are told in the book of Proverbs. And, and it's very important for us to vote for candidates that stand for Christian values, especially the value of being pro-life. We are not subtle about this. But uh, one of the things you discover uh, over the years, and you watch a few election cycles go through, uh, is this. And I think it was Rand Paul, the senator from Tennessee, who sort of spilled the, the beans on all of this, is that neither side of uh, the political uh, aisle really wants to see abortion on demand go away mm-hmm. as an issue. Uh, because uh, when it seems like uh, a, an issue like, say, uh, the Supreme Court in the Dobbs decision, uh, handing uh, the decision about abortion back to the states, that was an amazing money raiser for the Democrats. They said, oh, you know, women's reproductive choice is being threatened and you need to send us money. Uh, when uh, the Republican side of things uh, finds themselves in a place where it does appear that the Democrats are going to get over and do something like codifying Roe versus Wade, uh, they say, oh, look, you know, uh, we're pro-life. You need to send in your donations to us so we can fight for the rights of the unborn. But Rand Paul pointed out that neither side really wants this issue to go away because they can do two things with it. Number one, they can point to the other side and say, if they get into power, boy, Katie, bar the door, uh, the, the fate of the republic uh, is, is in uh, jeopardy. Uh, and the other thing that both sides do based on this issue is raise money on it. Uh, and they usually raise money based on fear. Now, we as Christians need to take a step back and we need to remember a very important scriptural principle that should inform the way that we look even at the political hoo-ha that's going on these days. Uh, and it's found in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7. We are told that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. You know, as far as I'm concerned, uh, you know, we see, uh, you know, politicians coming in saying that they're going to bring in righteousness and, and, uh, and so on. And they never seem to quite get around to doing it. Uh, we've seen the Democrats uh, control uh, both houses and the presidency, and they never codified Roe versus Wade. They don't want this issue to go away. We've seen Republicans with the House and the Senate and the presidency not moving, for instance, uh, to uh, you know, make any kind of uh, national move on the subject of being pro-life. And, and both sides will play uh, the fears of both sides against the middle. Here's where we need to, in a sense, I think, rise above. Uh, we need to keep our eyes on the Lord. People will ask me, are you, you know, a Republican or a Democrat? And they go, well, you know, you're a Calvary Chapel pastor and you know, you're, you're pro-life. Surely you're a Republican. I am not. Uh, I am a political registered independent, and this is the reason why. In the book of Philippians, we are told in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20 that our citizenship is in heaven, from which we eagerly await a Savior. Uh, you know, people say, are you Republican or Democrat? I, I will sometimes befuddle people. I say, no, I, I'm neither. I'm a monarchist. Mm-hmm. And they'll go, what do you mean a monarchist? You've been watching The Crown or something on Netflix? <laughs> no, I, by monarchist, what I mean is this. 
My political allegiance is to a great king, the great king, uh, Jesus Christ. And because of that, I think we as believers in Christ need to be scripturally informed uh, voters. I do believe that we need to be involved with the political process so we could be encouraging uh, in the direction that righteousness would exalt a nation and that we don't find ourselves in a place where the Lord is going to judge us. I mean, the Lord judged non-covenantal peoples like Sodom and Gomorrah for their moral excesses. And, and you know, when we think about uh, the millions of children who have been brutally eviscerated as a result of Roe versus Wade and legalized mm-hmm. abortion in this country, you know, I, I just can't help but think that uh, the same assessment that the two angels gave uh, to uh, Abraham uh, when the two angels and the Lord himself uh, visited Abraham in Genesis chapter 18, the outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great. It's come up before me. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go down and see uh, what's really going on there, sending these angels down there. Obviously, the Lord already knew, but that was an accommodation. But you know, I think the, the outcry regarding the good old U.S. of A., uh, is reaching to heaven. We have, uh, you know, U.S. senators uh, that people voted for in this state advocating for abortion up to the ninth month uh, of, uh, you know, that that's just horrible. Uh, when we see in Montana uh, the uh, a referendum that uh, guaranteed the protection of children who survived an abortion uh, and it would make that the law of the land, that went down to a fairly significant defeat. Um, God's watching, you know, and so uh, what can we do in all this? Well, my worldview says this, um, this world is like the Titanic. Uh, we've hit the iceberg. It's going down. Uh, the best thing that we can do as believers in Christ is be a part of a rescue mission to reach as many people as possible as we can with the good news of Christ. And yesterday we talked a little bit about a, uh, a bridge that we can use to bring up uh, the hope and, and the, the truth that we have in Jesus with people. A, a lot of times people say, well, I'd share my faith, but I just don't even really know how to bring up the subject. Mm-hmm. I, I really want to reemphasize this because I really believe this is a work that God wants to do, not just here in Tucson, but wherever you may be joining us on this broadcast. I, I really believe that one of the great bridge builders is especially with non-believers. Mm-hmm. You know, you hear somebody complaining. You hear somebody going on about how the world's going to, H-E double hockey sticks in a handbasket, you know, and, and they're fearful or they, they talk about how tough their life is. Here's what you do. Just look at them and say, hey, can I pray for you about that? You know, it is mind-blowing to me uh, that uh, so many people in this world have never been prayed for, never had anybody pray for them. And if we just pray and we pray to the Lord, not in a haughty, you know, theologically dense King James uh, oriented way, but but just sharing our heart before the Lord and, and his compassion and, and praying about these people's needs and how God is concerned about those needs and how God loves them and how God, we can know that God loves them because he sent his son to die for them. Boy, what a beautiful uh, way to br- build a bridge with people. And, and, and you know, Dave, I, I mentioned this, Pam and I have been doing this for, for quite a while now, uh, you know, really making it an emphasis in our lives for the last few months. And we have never, ever had a single person turn us down mm. when we said, can I pray for you? I, I mean, the first person who turns us down will be the first. And I'm sure there's some of those internet trolls and snarky types who would say, well, I don't need your prayers. or th-, you know, And that may happen, but it hasn't happened yet. 
And uh, what I, I would you. really uh, encourage uh, people to do is just to uh, reach out in that kind of compassion uh, because uh, people are, are just blown away. And just being able to model in that prayer what a real relationship with Jesus is all about. Not religion, mm-hmm. not join my church, uh, not follow my pastor, but but just that relationship, that simple relationship with Jesus. I think the Lord's really going to honor that. Mm-hmm. And I would really like to see um, those of us in the Reason for Hope uh, watching and listening family, you know, really take that to heart. Pray about the Lord giving you those kind of divine appointments. And boy, when he does, it's just an exciting thing. Hey, speaking of divine appointments, I don't want to put you on the spot, Sean, but uh, we do an outreach uh, at the Tank of Verde Swap Meet uh, on Friday nights. Uh, And uh, we set up a table and and you uh, make foil figures and give them away to the kids. And it's a great opportunity to build bridges. You had a really remarkable encounter uh, on Friday night. And I think it would be cool if you you shared it with our audience here. For yeah, we're always the first ones to admit we're not the only sincere Christians out there. There was this uh, basically ministry that was set up across the way from us, and they were basically uh, interested in what we were doing. Their uh, two daughters came over and asked for a foil Batman. We were talking to them about the biblical themes and all that, which there are. And uh, eventually, obviously, I didn't uh, advertise this right off the bat, but I asked them if they could pray for me. Obviously, not expecting an immediate result, but being the uh, zealous group that they were, they, both uh, the family's parents and the members of the ministry, came over and laid hands on me and prayed for me about the situation. And what I amused about the situation the most was they said, we're going to pray for you in Spanish. Is that okay? And I'm like, you're talking to him. He gets it. But uh, it was a real encouraging moment to note that, again, we don't say that a person's a Christian because they follow Calvary Chapel. We don't say they're a Christian because they're a part of our specific church. There's plenty of people out there that read the Bible and take it seriously, and we encountered, I think, eight of them. But it was a very encouraging moment. Yeah, and uh, you also had another encounter with uh, a Sunni Muslim family, and that, that's the one I was kind of uh, uh, hitting at. It was really a, an interesting thing how you were prepared specifically to be able to meet this need. Oh, yeah. Well, basically the situation, as you know, I take Islam seriously enough, but uh, these um, people— Uh, Most of the family were nominal Muslims, but the mother obviously only spoke here Arabic. They had fled here from Baghdad because of the uh, threats made against them with ISIS. And obviously, whenever I tried to make a point, either they suddenly didn't know enough about their religion to comment on it, or uh, there was obviously the language barrier. But over time, and basically just asking questions, she asked, like, what is your group? What what do you believe? And said, uh, oh, I'm Ahlul uh, Kitab, which is the Quranic reference to the people of the book, Jews and Christians. And she just kind of looked at me like, you spoke Arabic. I yeah. know three of the those words. And uh, of course, every time that they would make a point, the kids are translating for her. And she's like, oh, we believe in the Injil given to Jesus. And I said, well, sir, 1827, remember, that which was between his hands. And we had an Arabic translation of the Gospel of John with us. That's one of our tracks in the side of the table Uvaldo designates to me. And he says, uh, this is the Angel of Isa bin Miriam, and I'm using their terms. Obviously, I'm not compromising on the gospel. I did ask them about uh, Surah 4.157, but they, again, don't want to touch the Quran. They default to Ali and his successors for that. But the key in all of these details and conversation was, and I do worry that I may end up getting her beaten for it, but she did take 
the Gospel of John in Arabic, and I know testimonies of Muslims who've gotten saved with less. So pray for that family, of course, as well. But the point of emphasis was I just knew three verses and understood how to apply them in a conversation. It wasn't hard. Yeah, and I just think that is so powerful that the Lord raised you up for just such a time as this and then brought this family across your path. And and I think the overriding principle we want to share with you and our Reason for Hope family is that, boy, if you're prepared even to know the, the basics of sharing the gospel with somebody, yeah. you know, that, that God loves you and, and, and that he wants to have a relationship with you, but that we're separated from God by our sin, and we know it. You know, we have this emptiness in our heart that shows us that we're alienated from our creator, mm-hmm. but that God loved us. He became a man in the person of Jesus. He died for us. He rose from the dead in a moment of history so we could be forgiven and we could have a relationship with him. And by simply asking for that gift of eternal life, we can enter into a brand new relationship with God and be born again, be new creatures in Christ. And, mm-hmm. you know, just being able to share something as simple as that with people, if you've got that under your belt, God is going to start doing amazing things, bringing people across your path who need to hear that message. Yeah. I know on Sunday here at Carrie Christian Fellowship, you encouraged and commissioned people to go and, and you know, pray for someone like you shared. And it struck me afresh, if everyone did that, I mean, we, we probably see, you know, several hundred people here on a Sunday. If everyone took that seriously and went and prayed for someone, that's quite a spread of prayer. It kind of hit me on Sunday, just like, yeah. wow, that would be such, like a pandemic of prayer. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah you even have to wear a mask. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah man, and course, it just, I was kind of daydreaming about like, man, that would be beautiful to see those people go out and spread prayer across Tucson. So, Well, be praying for that. I, I think <laughs> yeah. that's really a, a vision from the Lord yeah. that, that he's given. And, and I hope it's not just a vision for our church or even this ministry, but I really pray that, that, that God's people uh, would would uh, jump onto that yeah. and, and use that as a bridge to be able to share the Lord with more yeah. people. Yeah, because yeah. it is yeah. it is very non-threatening, yeah. like you say, just say, can I pray for you? Well, we've got questions coming in. A uh, question here Stephen from up. Yari um, on behalf of his friend Will, who was asking, uh, why asking d- for a friend. Asking for a friend, <laughs> yeah. And he named the friend, so yeah. It's, yeah. Le- it's legit. So I guess that's legit. <laughs> right. Uh, why does God, you know, you, you shared about Bo's uh, dear mom, Dot, who went to be with the Lord early this morning, Um why does God allow people to go through cancer? Um, he just doesn't quite understand why can't people, I guess, especially Christians, why can't we just go home? Like, why why do we have to suffer from cancer or diseases? Why does God allow something like that? This is how people become ex-Christians. They level against God and hold expectations of him that he never made or put in his word. I inquired a little bit. Apparently, Will is with Yari. Uh, he said that Isaiah 53 says that God is the kind of being that prevents cancer, that he's laid that out in his word. We'll get to that more in a second. But what we really want to caution to me. Yeah, well, you know the logic, but we really need to caution this to everyone here listening. This is essentially what the problem of, I'm trying to think, there's the moral problem of evil and there's the natural problem of evil. Why do natural disasters, earthquakes, right. tornadoes, and pandemics, oh my, Disease, the natural yeah. promise uh, problem of evil is objected against Christianity because they hold Christianity to standards it never actually makes for itself, 
and in fact claims the opposite. Because when we actually read the Bible, and again, unfortunately, Will's pastor has led him down this bad path of theology, our understanding of God comes from two working assumptions in order for the gospel to mean anything to us. We become Christians through the gospel. So if someone, A, is already right with God, then they don't need Jesus. And if there's no reason for them to come to a decision about a relationship with God before or during this life, then there'd be no need for us to pursue it. But the Bible would literally state, not only is the opposite the case, but especially for Christians, we tend to be more the target of these natural problems of evil. And I don't just say that to get out of the issue. I can quote chapter and verse. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 11, where Paul the Apostle, godly individual, yeah. <laughs> a man who is following Jesus, a saint among ain'ts. Yeah, exactly. Use the term? Yeah. Describes his relationship with Jesus and the kind of uh, experiences he had during his ministry. Now, we expect God to prevent all kinds of, let's just say, sicknesses, but let's even include and not uh, limit ourselves to the fact, how did Paul the Apostle die? Did he just go home? Uh, he was beheaded. That's fun. But it was also a fun journey between A and B. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 22, it says, Are they, speaking of the false prophets who are accusing him, interesting God allowed that to happen, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool, meaning he's kind of boasting here. I am more. In labors, more abundant. In stripes above measure. Now, this will become important in Isaiah 53. It notes, by Jesus' stripes we are healed, correct? He carried our diseases and bore our infirmities. If the interpretation of Isaiah 53 was intended by that audience and taken as such by the Apostle Paul, among other people, right. shouldn't he be saying, I have no stripes because Jesus bore my stripes? Or, you know, again, the thorn in the flesh that we'll he get dealt to that in Second Corinthians chapter twelve, next chapter. Yeah, <laughs> why in the world would he suffer something like that if Jesus died to take away all suffering and pain in this world? And notice how I'm kind of belaboring the point here, so that not only you, Yari, but everyone here understands this. We're taking an interpretation of Scripture that is in direct conflict with other interpretations of Scripture. And another question will dove on this as well. But note, in stripes more often, he's boasting of the fact he's experiencing stripes. And by the way, stripes, that's not like getting tattoos or his face painted like a zebra. What is he referring to? Uh, he's talking about uh, being uh, flogged. And under unlawful premises, by the way. Yeah. We can note several instances of that in the book of Acts. Yeah. He notes, in stripes more often, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, not with weed, with rocks. They literally threw rocks at him trying to get him to die. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night in the day I've been in the deep. We have that documented in the book of Acts. In journeys often, in perils of waters, perils of robbers, perils of my own countrymen, perils of the Gentiles, perils of the city, perils in the wilderness, perils in the sea, perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, notice this, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, fastings often, in cold and nakedness, besides other things, what comes upon me daily, 
my deep concern for the churches. So God allowed Paul not only to suffer legal hardship, physical hardship, social hardship, moral hardship, circumstantial hardship, being in the midst of natural disasters, being in the eyes of robbers and thieves, being the target, like 2 Corinthians is addressing, of false teachers, and allowed him to be anxious for the well-being of those in the church. Now, if I were to take an approach towards God where the Apostle Paul, rightly understanding the Bible as this false pastor of wills is teaching him, to handle that in such a way where if you really follow Jesus, then none of these things should happen. Why does God allow this? Do you ever hear Paul mentioning that or complaining about that once? He's boasting about these kind of sufferings, which is what leads us into that passage in this same book, same audience, next chapter, where he is explaining, as a result of the abundance of the revelations, notice this, God's will, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, this is verse 7, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, name, take your pick, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And here's where God should step in and say, oh, right, I forgot. I'm the kind of being that prevents all hardship or discomfort. No, he says, my grace is sufficient for you for my strength, not Paul's, Jesus speaking, my strength is made perfect in weakness. What's Paul's conclusion? Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and in reproaches and needs and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. That's the key. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Obviously, no one likes to be sick. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul the Apostle mentions a man by the name of Epaphroditus who almost died right. as a result of a sickness. And what did he say? lest I have sorrow stacked upon sorrow. Christ was merciful not only to him, but to me also. We all hate it when this world does what the world does. But for us to redefine scripture in our own image, and this is the real issue, convenience and comfort, and say, God is supposed to do what I decided he should do. He should make me happy because that's my number one concern. That's not God's. God's number one concern is spelled out for us in his word, and if you're interested in that, we'll be happy to address it on another time. But we can't make the conclusion, and this was the follow-up, unfortunately, Isaiah 53 and all the miracles Jesus performed would prove that God's purpose is to prevent sickness. Now, is it true that Jesus healed the sick? Yes, absolutely. But why is it that we and all of his followers, and the rest of Scripture would disagree with the conclusion God's purpose is to prevent disease, in particular the abnormal reproduction of cells that uh, don't know when to stop, cancer. Well, first of all, um, you know, in answering this question, uh, I, I speak as a cancer survivor. Uh, you know, I, I've had uh, the really nasty experience of sitting across from a doctor with all the degrees you can imagine after name and showing me the results of a biopsy. And by the way, the biopsy I had was like being captured by some bizarre South American tribe and subjected to uh, degrading rituals to alleviate a drought or something. I don't, I don't recommend getting a biopsy, mm. uh, especially in the kind of cancer that I had. Mm. Uh, I'm glad I did, but it's, it's really kind of a gnarly little trip. Mm. Uh, but, uh, but when, uh, 
you know, when you're looking across the table and they say, you know, I'm sorry, you have cancer. And, you know, I think about uh, even uh, what we talked about, Bo's uh, mom and what she suffered. They mm -hmm. gave me this prognosis that said, if we don't do something and do something quick, uh, I was going to have this cancer metastasize into my bones. And uh, they described the last year of my life as being uh, unable to move even the slightest without feeling like uh, you've broken a bone. Mm. That, that was what I was looking at. Mm. Uh, and so obviously, uh, we wanted to do something about it. You know, in my cancer situation, uh, it was really interesting. Uh, God sovereignly moved in my life mm. to get me the treatment that I, need, I needed. Uh, a friend of mine who is a retired urologist mentioned just in passing to his daughter who lived in Missouri of all places that what I was going through. And she said, oh yeah, I, I remember, don't you remember that, uh, that guy, Mitch, uh, who uh, shadowed you uh, in your urology practice and decided not to be a cardiologist? He went into urology. Well, Mitch is now uh, the head of urology at the Mayo Clinic. Mm. And uh, his daughter said, I bet you, uh, you know, Mitch was so grateful to you for adjusting his career. I bet you he'd get in your, your friend in to see him. Well, I didn't realize something, but this was the guy who invented the robotic procedure wow. for my kind of cancer. When this guy puts on a seminar uh, to describe the robotic procedure, there's a lottery that urologists from all over the world enter into, and only a certain handful get selected to be able to sit in this, this sort of thing. <laughs> uh, in fact, uh, I, I don't know this for sure, but when Pam and I were watching a documentary on the Mayo Clinic called uh, Faith, Hope, and Science, mm. uh, they showed the Dalai Lama himself going to the same facility in Scottsdale that I went to for the same procedure that I had. Mm. I asked the guy, did you do the Dalai Lama's procedure? He said, HIPAA laws, I can't, can't tell confirm you. Or, or deny. <laughs> so, you know, lo and behold, God used this relationship that uh, happened 20-some years ago uh, and a connection from high school. Uh, to get me into the treatment uh, that that I had no business expecting to get into. There's a, a line, you know, you know, lo uh, as long as your arm, of people wanting to get in and have this guy do the procedure. Well, he did the procedure, and, uh, you know, again, last August, I was pronounced cancer-free. So I look at that as the sovereign hand of God uh, ministering there. I, I shared on Sunday another experience that my family has had, where my dad had lymphoma cancer. Uh, the lymphoma had compromised three quarters of his adrenal gland. Uh, you know, long story short, I prayed for my dad. Uh, and, uh, and the next, or two days later, uh, the follow-up scan showed that there was no trace of cancer, not even a scar. His oncologist is this uh, incredibly uh, hardcore, uh, scientifically minded guy. We called him Dr. Pull the Plug uh, later on. Uh, said to my dad, are you a religious man? And he said, why? And he goes, well, this is what happened. I have no scientific explanation for this. So God definitely intervened and healed my dad uh, for a very important reason. My dad didn't know the Lord at that time. And that was what was going to be necessary for my dad to receive, and this is what you're getting at, Sean, a greater healing. Mm. You know, when Isaiah 53 and 1 Peter 3 talked about it's by his stripes we are healed. Uh, the healing being talked about there isn't physical healing per se. It is the healing from sin. Mm -hmm. Now, let's go through that passage in Isaiah 53. 
He was pierced through for our transgressions, not for our illnesses. He was, uh, he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace, the peace relationship with God not was peace, upon him. Not peace of our immune system? No. And by his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. So we look at that in context. And you can follow up and look at how Peter dealt with that verse. It was all about Jesus paying the price for our sin, which separates us from God. Why is that so important? Well, God sovereignly moved in my life to get me the cancer treatment. I need it. In fact, uh, one thing I'll I'll add is one of the, the real struggles we had was a guy who bought into that same mentality came up to me right before my procedure and said, you're not trusting God. This is a huge mistake. You should just believe the promises of God, and God will supernaturally heal you. And I said, well, I've seen supernatural healing, but I really believe God is leading in this direction. You know, And I understood the sincerity behind all of that, but it's misguided. God does use doctors to accomplish physical healing. But in my dad's case especially, the reason he intervened, I believe, and healed him physically was because he needed a greater healing spiritually. He needed to receive Jesus as his Savior. And as a result of that, you know, my dad, very skeptical, very educated, uh, attorney mentality, he could not deny that God had showed him how much he loved him, and he received Christ as his Savior. Well, my dad's cancer came back uh, after a few months, and, you know, he had a passing away a few years later. And, you know, the most important healing to me was when I was with him in the hospital room uh, before he passed on, he had already been intubated, couldn't really speak. And I just said, Dad, if you've made your peace with God, uh, you know, please just squeeze my hand. Mm-hmm. You know, if you've, you know, you're really ready. And my dad squeezed my hand and he squeezed it so hard and so long. And I was mm-hmm. just overwhelmed. It was one of the most emotional experiences I've ever had mm-hmm. because I know now for sure that I'm going to see my dad on the other side. Mm-hmm. Now, which was more important to get a physical healing? Or spiritual healing, and that's the key issue. That's the most important thing in all of this. And 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 you know, again, Yari and and Will, bless their hearts. Uh, those faith healers and faith teachers out there will, you know, say things to people because they want to alleviate suffering. I, I'd like to think that in some cases they're a little misguided, but they would really like to see people, like say Bo's mom, not be in pain and suffering like they are. Sometimes God does intervene. Sometimes he does not. Why does he intervene in some circumstances and does not in others? We don't know. We really won't. We, we won't know until we see the Lord face to face. But, you know, when people look to the ministry of Jesus, they said, he has done all things well. Mm-hmm. And, and we can have that confidence in our lives that Jesus does all things well. So if I receive a physical healing, that's a beautiful thing. If I receive it in a moment of prayer instantaneously, God does and can do that. If God opens incredible doors to get a guy like me to the Mayo Clinic, that was still a healing, right? And to me and to my wife and to my family, that was a huge picture of the fact that God is in control, mm-hmm. uh, that, that he does work all things together for good for those who love him or are called according to his purpose. Which was more important? To illustrate Isaiah 53, 6, by stripes we are healed, or 
to illustrate that God really does work all things together for good in, in our lives. I think both of those spiritual lessons are equally important, and God will use circumstances to drive these kind of principles home to us. In the, in the case of Bo's mom, Dot, why did she suffer as long as she did? I don't know. I really don't. But one thing I do know is watching what an awesome son Bo was to his mom in the midst of all this. He'd be there at two in the morning reading her scripture and playing the guitar and singing her songs. And even in the midst of all of that suffering, just persevering and doing what's right, I learned a lot just by watching Bo, uh, you know, extend the very presence and love of Jesus in that situation. So God was glorified in all of that. Yeah. And that, I think, is the key thing. Uh, we can't tell God his business. Right. You know, we can't dictate terms to God, say, well, I found this verse here, and by golly, I'm going to claim it and hold my breath till I turn blue until you do things my way, Lord. God has bigger and better things for that. You were going to say something, Sean. Well, and speaking of the ministry of Jesus, if you remember John chapter 11, why did Jesus allow Lazarus to not only have a illness, a prolonged illness that resulted in his physical death, and one where he said it would not be unto death, but to the glory of God? Well, we saw the results. Mary and Martha got an incredible opportunity we're still benefiting from right. to put into perspective things like physical death. But if someone were to then ignore the entire 16 verses that set up that vital conversation, they're either following a false teacher, they're embracing a false teaching, or at best, missing out on what God's Word is trying to say. Right. Because if we say God would never allow someone to get sick, God allowed Lazarus to get sick. Got a lot of Paul to get sick. Got a lot, a lot of things to get sick in Scripture. Let's right. just forget real life. If on the other hand, we're going to say, or modern day, if on the other hand, we're going to say, God wouldn't allow prolonged sickness. God wouldn't allow someone he loved to die. Um, how was Lazarus advertised to Jesus in that exact conversation by Martha and Mary both? The one whom you love is sick. Yeah, exactly. This is the point. When we're approaching Scripture, we want to do it plainly, we want to do it consistently, and we don't want to do it with experience, or at least the claimed experiences of others, because he unfortunately uh, went on to note the credentials of this false teacher. He uh, said that he studied under such and such an individual. Their parents, uh, or grandparents rather, prayed for a tumor, and it was healed by stating, uh, stating that by his stripes you are healed. Well, here's the thing. At best, we're going to say it's coincidence because we don't want to accuse them of being demonically empowered. We don't want to do that. On the other hand, we're going to say, well, this experience is allowing me to embrace and promote this false doctrine. That's the problem. Well, but that's the twist, right? God may very well, you know, I think every good and perfect gift comes from above. And if this grandmother was healed of a tumor supernaturally and miraculously, I think that was God expressing his love towards them. Yeah, but the problem is, people, and this is where the demonic comes yes. in. I don't think there's any such a thing as demonic healing no. going on out there. But where the demonic comes in is Satan trades in false doctrine. And if he can get somebody to go, oh, by rebuking cancer tumors, that's how you get God to do what he wants, what you want him to do, that's a real twisting of Scripture. And like you said, the bear trap is when you get to this point where you're you know, dictating terms to God, mm. and God says no. 
Uh, I have seen so many people go down that path, and you know they're believing God, they're trusting God, and people in the faith movement, bless their hearts, they really expect God to work in their lives, which is awesome. But I've seen people go down that path, and when they do it and it doesn't work, um, a couple things happen. People will look at them and say, well, why isn't it working? Mm-hmm. Well, maybe there's some sin in your life. And so they feel kind of condemned, and they confess their sins. Speaking then, from experience. Then uh, they, they, they turn around, and, and if they confess their sins and, and it's still there, they go, well, you know, God says we're king's kids, and, and part of my inheritance is, is healing here and now, and it's not having you. Maybe you're not a king's kid. Mm-hmm. And that's where the bear trap really snaps it, because the person's still sick, right? Mm-hmm. They're still hurting, but you know what they've been robbed of? Hope, mm. hope and a connection with God, mm. and doubt comes flooding in. And I've seen people, like you mentioned, join the Exvangelical Club because exactly that sort of thing has happened to them. So we have to be very, very careful not to reject the idea that God can and does heal supernaturally, as we said, we've seen that, but he always does it in harmony with his word. Mm. You know, we're, we're not just to judge prophecies. We are to test all things, First Thessalonians chapter four and verse nineteen says, and hold fast what is good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's the important thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. you're going to say uh, chapter five. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, don't uh, follow a false teacher, even if they studied under a lot of fancy schools. Satan is perfect in beauty and wisdom, and interestingly enough, Saul the Pharisee, Saul of Tarsus, studied under Gamaliel when he was murdering Christians. Didn't mean he was right. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I mean, Will, thank you for, for being with us. Great, great question. Great subject. Yeah, yeah, great discussion. Yeah. I mean, yeah. absolutely. Um, thank you for that. Question from Reynold. Uh, question Questions. is, how do we, how do we know uh, which interpretation of God's word is correct? And he, he mentions a few things like pre-trib, pre-trib pro, post-trib, speaking in tongues, all these different things. How do we know? I guess he's really saying what teaching of the word um, do we believe and what is correct when there's so many different views on all these different biblical issues? Well, it's really important that, uh, you know, one of the most fundamental and, and neglected issues, I think, uh, that people get into uh, and can really create some problems for them is uh, what uh, Paul spoke of uh, in uh, his letter to Timothy, where he said, uh, you know, study to show yourself approved. Mm a workman who needs not be ashamed, rightly dividing or accurately handling the word of God. Mm. You know, so implicit in that is there's an accurate way and an inaccurate way. Uh, the, the first thing we got to understand is there is a right interpretation of the Bible. Mm. These days, everybody kind of looks at the Bible like an inkblot test and says, oh, you know, whatever floats your boat. Uh, we've all sat through Bible studies where someone will say, well, this is what this verse means to me. I, to me, it's almost like fingernails on a chalkboard because I'm a pastor now, uh, and uh, I've sat through enough of those things. I don't care what a passage means to you. I care what it means to God. That's what we should care about. How can we determine what a passage really means, what mm-hmm. God wants it to mean? Well, you know, I've had these conversations with people I love in my family who just were outraged at the idea that there was one right interpretation of the Bible. And, and I share with them, look, if you look at a passage of Scripture and you decide, I'm not going to read into it, I'm not going to bring my prejudice to, to it as much as I possibly can. We all have bias. I get that. But if I look at it in a grammatical, literal, and historical sense, mm-hmm. right, 
first off the bat. Now, by, by grammatical, what I mean is I take a look at how the particular statement is put together. Is there anything in the grammar, the structure of the sentence, that can lead me to a proper conclusion? Literal. I have to take a look at the kind of literature I'm looking at. Am I looking at history? Am I looking at poetry? Am I looking at wisdom literature? Am I looking at prophecy? Am I looking at something that's clearly saying this is symbolic? Okay, that's got to inform my take on a particular passage, an individual passage. And and not only grammatically, literally, and historically, uh, but but by historically, I need to take a look at this and say, okay, are there some people who've studied God's word all of their life who've got some takes on this that might you know, illuminate me in this, this particular sense. I need to take a look at it historically in terms of when it was happening in God's word and, and how it fits into the flow of scripture. Was it an old Testament statement? Was it part of the law of Moses? Was it something that was going on in David's life? Was it something Jesus said? Was it something the apostles said? Was it something that God gave uh, the apostle John on the Island of Patmos in the book of revelation? I need to take all these things into account. And when I do, in most cases, I can discover what the Bible actually means in a particular passage. Now, Reynolds, getting into the whole thing about controversies about pre and mid and post-trib and all this stuff, we need to understand something about those big subjects, you know, like speaking in tongues or things like that, where people disagree. What we say the Bible teaches about big subjects has to be built on our understanding of individual verses, plural. If what I say an individual verse means is at odds with what the Bible says about a big picture verse, then I've missed it on the individual verse. If what I say the Bible teaches on a big subject is at odds with the clear teaching of an individual verse, then what I'm saying on the big picture, probably not accurate. So, you know, we, we have to be really careful uh, these days. Uh, I, I always hearken back to uh, that uh, uh, late uh, 20th century sage Ferris Bueller uh, when he said, isms, in my opinion, are not good. One should not believe in an ism. <laughs> you know, so, uh, you know, by an ism, what I mean is this. We can become so enamored of a particular theological structure that we fall in love with the theological structure rather than Scripture. And when the theological structure differs from the clear teaching of Scripture, we just say, well, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. We've got this thing, and who are you to question these great geniuses who've lived down through time? Well, who do I need to be? I'm a guy with a Bible. You know, I can read the Bible. I can understand what it says on the small issues and the big issues. So it's really important, Reynolds, to, first of all, you know, learn to to rightly divide the word of truth, to cut it straight, to learn how to read and interpret the Bible as literature. And, uh, and again, once we do that, then we can start applying those principles to some of the big issues. Anything you'd add to that? No, I think we can finish off with one more question, but uh, just to clarify that issue, we get peppered with all of these sort of issues, a bunch of little things here and there, and saying if God was actually speaking, then it would be clear. It's the same mistake people are making with the cancer issue. If I can find a way to mess this up, 
or if people can somehow find a way to do this wrong, that's somehow a deficiency on God's ability to communicate rather than my ability to comprehend. Yeah. Be careful with that mindset. And, and you know, that dovetails with a, a follow-up. He said, why is the church divided? Why are there so many denominations? Because there's so many there. people and all different kinds of people have different kinds of brains. They'll emphasize other secondary issues, but in order to be considered a Christian, you have to affirm the big issue matters, which are the nature of salvation, the nature of God, the nature of Jesus, and where we get all this information, the nature of Scripture. If a Roman Catholic denies that, there's a reason we distance ourselves from them. If a member of Calvary Chapel disagrees with that, then we distance ourselves from them. If a Protestant disagrees with any of that, they're not a Christian. They can call themselves whatever they want, but mankind's capacity to error doesn't make God a liar. Yeah, and and you know, sometimes uh, people say, well, you know, if this is really the truth, why is there so many, you know, denominations and disagreements right. out there? I used to think that was a, a pretty uh, interesting indictment of Christianity mm -hmm. uh, until, you know, I, I suddenly realized something. People that come to know the Lord, uh, you know, are passionate about his truth. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and some people yeah. will be passionate about different issues in his truth or even different forms of how to worship God in spirit and in truth. And, and so you have these different groups that come together because they, they emphasize a particular area of doctrine. This isn't an indictment of Scripture. It's really just, in a sense, a confirmation of the fact that the people who love God's Word really want to be with others that really want to focus in on a particular area yeah. in God's Word. So yeah. it's not really an indictment. It's really right. a confirmation. That's a, great, that's a great way to put it. Yeah. Well, we're out of time for today. Sean, thank you so much. Scott, thank you. <laughs> oh, man. Great, great show again. Whew. We'll be back uh, same time, same places tomorrow. Hope to see you again then. God bless you. You've been listening to A Reason for Hope. Thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's Word, one question of the heart at a time. Until we meet again, we would love to connect with you. You can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com. You can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com. And be sure to join us next time on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.